Oh, and I'm also sneezing. <clears throat> Maybe that should be a new feature, sneeze along with Jim. It is the 90s, and there is time for the Pie Factory Podcast. Hi, everybody. Hi. I almost sounded like Vic Sage from uh, from The Retrist and Diary of an Arcade. Arcade I still play. haven't listened to Diary of the Hi, everybody. Arcade. Vic Sage here. Today, we're going to talk about Joust. He's a great guy. I like him. That's a good podcast. Keeps it short, sweet, to the point, and he does a good job. So basically, the exact opposite of Pie Factory podcast. Well, yeah, pretty much. But to be honest, that's not a hard job. Mm. So anyway, that's true. So from the... Normally, I would say like the frozen wastelands of Morris, Illinois, but wow, you don't even know how true that is these days. Especially the wastelands part. Yeah, holy crap. The irradiated frozen wastelands of Morris, Illinois. This oh, is Jimmy yeah. G. Yeah, that's so true. Mm-hmm. And from Chiberia, this is, um, I'm not even going to bother thinking of it. You can tell from listening to us that we are so energetic and thrilled to be doing this. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess I'm Sean. And I'm- Hi, friends. And I'm coming from uh, what is the coldest uh, temperature in Chicago in recorded history, keeping in mind that Chicago's weather records, Chicago's weather recorded history dates back only to 1871. Which, to be fair, Chicago wasn't a city for much longer before that, too, so. Well, that's true, but there was a little thing called fire that burnt all the records. (laughs) Yeah. That's true. I forgot about that little thing. Yeah. Imagine if the Great Chicago Flood happened during the Great Chicago Fire. There wouldn't have been a problem. Well, it would have smeared the ink, so he might have yeah, yeah, lost the records. But, so. Holy shnikes, yeah. is it cold. Oh. Right now, we are, right now, the entire of Illinois, Wisconsin, Minnesota, we are colder than Fairbanks, Alaska, which is the largest, well, like the second largest city in Alaska. I think it's like 50,000 people. Uh, we are colder than Anchorage, Alaska, which not, which can happen from time to time because they're like right on the Pacific coast and they get that warm Pacific air. And we are only slightly colder than Barrow, Alaska, population. Which is now like, known as Utklaktvik or something. Something like that, which is uh, like 4,000, 5,000 people. And uh, yes, they're only like about eight degrees uh, lower than us, which is weird. But yeah. Oh, fun fact. Um oh. The furthest north fast food chain in the United States is in Barrow, Alaska. And oh, really? guess what? Guess what chain it is? Pizza Hut. Nope. Kentucky Fried Chicken. Nope. Taco Bell. I'll give you one more guess. Um, it's not In and Out Burger. I'm gonna say Panda Express. Subway. Ah. I think the furthest north fast food chain, fast food restaurant in North America is KFC Pizza Hut. They are ah. in Equalit, Canada. They are. That town is the capital of the territory of Nunavut, which was carved out of the Northwest Territory sometime right. in the 90s. We're a video game podcast. We don't need to keep talking about geography. Let's have none of it. <laughs> I see what you did there. <laughs> I quell all of it. So mm-hmm. so how have you been, Sean? Oh, boy. I've been, I don't know how I've been. It's just been a weird couple of months, really. I don't know. I feel like I've been sick for the past few days, but my body temperature was uh, 98.7, which That's is a great also radio a classical station. radio station yeah. out here. Yeah. W, what was it? W-B-A-Z. Been like <laughs> snorfling and been kind of chilly. Uh, I, I really don't know 
how else I can say it's just been kind of a it's been kind of a weird. This is dangerous. We didn't even go out at all today. I open the door just to throw a, a bag outside the door so I can throw it in the garbage once it's actually walkable outside. And may, even that was like, yeah, yeah. This is this is ridiculous. So we've uh, we've been very very busy um, since uh, since we last recorded. Uh, Prince Arcades in uh, Bolingbrook, oh, Illinois opened, yeah. and um, Jeremy tell, Fox, tell, the proprietor. Tell our friends about it. Yeah, tell our friends about that because I haven't been there. And uh, we're gonna work. We're gonna try to get an interview with uh, the proprietor, Jeremy Fox, before too long. He wants to. He's gonna be at Midwest Gaming Classic, but he wants to. Yeah. Get something together before then. But yeah, they got about maybe it was like eighty-five games right now. Whatever um, place is laid out, really nice. It's uh, it got it's it's spacious. They're not overcrowded. Free drinks, actually. We're really? talking like uh, canned canned beverages too, like pop and stuff. Huh. And uh, they were open today. They were the only only thing open in the promenade at Bolingbrook today. Yes, that's true. Yeah, yeah. and it's uh, fifteen dollars to get in. And, yeah, it uh, seems to me that everything is closed except the arcades because mm-hmm. Underground Retrocade is open tonight, and I'm I'm Star Wars was open. Sur- I, yeah, Star Worlds. I'd be dead surprised if Galloping Ghost were heck. Well, Joysticks were here in Morris was open. Really? So, wow. Yeah, I've yet to go back in there since they actually formally declared it a separate arcade. I've been there when they only had a few games, but that's a great store. I've talked I've about it before. I've yet to be there. Period. I have to make a change to that sometime. Yeah, well, maybe you, we could come down here, spend some time there, just a little bit of time, and then head on up to maybe Star Worlds or something, or to Onet. Ooh, I, I do want to check out Onet. That's a nice place. Nice place to stop after hiking at Star Rock. So, so, um, so yeah, Jeremy Fox, uh, great guy, uh, very uh, accommodating. I set a couple of house records there. I uh, set the house record on Mario Brothers, which wasn't, which wasn't a very high house record, but it's been since beaten. I also set it on Elevator Action too. Ooh, which like um, I don't remember what the score was, like 180 some thousand, I think, and um, I don't think that's been beaten yet. That's a, you know what I was when I first played Elevator Action Two in Mame, I had never seen it in the arcade. I was like indifferent about it, but then I played it at uh, Prince Arcades when I went there, and I'm like, and I'm getting into it. I'm like, wow, this game it's the same formula, but it has just enough twists. And uh, and stuff to keep it uh, interesting and new. So uh, that's a game we'll have to talk about. Yeah, I played it at the Ghost a couple of years ago, and I was surprised at how much I didn't not like it. I was like, this is pretty cool, actually. Yeah, I mean, it kept the same basic gameplay, but adding new uh, new angles to it. I, I, I loved what they did, but we'll talk about that in the future. Yeah. And um, so I set the house high on that. And uh, we got in, when I got in there, I went there right after work, and... Um, I got in. I talked to uh, to Jeremy for a little bit, and I'm like, "Okay, I want to. I would love to keep talking to you, but I've been having an itching to play Sinistar. Where is it? <laughs> it's and, at uh, uh, Galloping it Ghost. Like, so, uh, so I went and I played some Sinistar, and I'm like, man, that, I, I'm, I've been getting into that game a lot more lately too. There's just something very addicting about that game. I've been I getting think, into Joust lately, actually. Oh yeah, yeah. Of course, uh, because we do not advocate using emulators oh, on copyrighted games unless you actually own the game yourself. Um, so I've been playing it in MAME a lot. Unfortunately, my Joust machine went missing, so I have to play it in mm. MAME. I think I, I left it somewhere. I think I left it at church or something. But and, I was playing, I've been playing Joust a lot just to see if I could increase my stupid high score of 60,000. Mm-hmm. I think I'm finally figuring things out, like how to, I actually can 
about 50% of the time intentionally off a pterodactyl in the first pterodactyl wave. Yeah, there's a way to do that. I don't remember yeah. what it was. It's a there's a there's a trick to it, but I yeah, can't remember. And I'm following Lonnie McDonald's advice, which is uh if you fly, you die. At the bottom of the screen, there's that little you're under that ledge in the middle of the screen. If yeah. you stay like off to the side there and just kind of hop on everybody, you're pretty safe. And that does work. It takes a few tries, but once you get used to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've, I I've think, done that too. I think I've gotten up to about 140,000 so far. Oh, I think my high is, is like 60,000. Which is, well, that was my high before, but it's still kind of pathetic, though, considering that most Joust fans, they're like in the millions by now. <laughs> but yeah, Me? so. I'm, no. So, you know. Oh, you're too, the- while I was practicing that, oh. I was playing the 7800 version of Joust, mm-hmm. and I was actually kind of disappointed with it. It looks like a good conversion until uh, if you know. These the little ins and outs of how the arcade version works. It's not quite the same. Oh, no matter how what difficulty level you pick or whatever. For example, using the Lonnie McDonald trick of uh, just Hi. hanging out under the ledge mm-hmm. on the arcade version, you can land on a buzzard and collect the egg while it as soon as it pops up. You can't do that on the seventy eight hundred because of the trajectory of the egg. Huh? And just uh, and. Unless you set the difficulty really high, the enemies don't really advance until several screens in. Like, you just have bounders for, like, the first seven or eight rounds. Really? Yeah. Oh, interesting. So I'm hoping somebody will work on a Joust Arcade Hmm. equivalent. But but at any rate, uh, going back to Prince Arcades. um, Prince Arcades. That uh, they have a couple of games there that nobody else in the world, in the very few other arcades of nobody else, uh, actually have there. One of them is called Hammer and Harry. Of course, James White has mm. the world record on that right now. Of course, he does. Of course, he does. And uh, a game I've been getting into the last few years that I've talked about before, Space Zap. And I want to talk oh, about yeah, that you've further about that. In, in depth. That's a, I love that game. I need they also to, have I need a Pack and Pal, which you've been looking for. But it's I've not, actually been looking for Pac Man and Chomp Chomp. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Pack and Pal, man, that that board must be a European board or something. Because, well, for one thing, I know it's not an actual standalone Pack and Pal machine. It's, no, it is. It's it, a, it is the a board in the Super Pac Man. Which, let's be honest here, a Pack and Pal slash Pac Man and Chomp Chomp essentially is Super Pac Man. I'm pretty sure that the cabinet itself is just reskinned anyway. Could be. It's, it, it, I'm pretty sure that Namco and Midway just use the uh, Super Pac Man molds, as it were. So we're going to work on getting uh, Jeremy Fox on the show. Yes. And, and, and we we got to get the guys from Pixel Blast. P- Peck, we yeah, got to get the guys from Pixel Blast, We're working Blast on too. that, too. But uh, oh, yeah, Jeremy, we, Jeremy has a lot of great stories. Yeah. And uh, so I'm sure we'll, he'll probably tell those when we talk to him and that. But Oh, yeah. But um, we finally got to meet. Well, anybody who listens to us probably also listens to Ten Pence. We finally got to meet those guys, too. Lying gets. Yes, we did. And a few other people. Um, yeah. Let me see. I, uh, was it Whitney from Broken Token? Yes. And which Troll nice Nads. guy. Uh, there's Troll a guy Nads. from. Oh, oh, yeah. And Trollnads from uh, one of the frequent contributors to Ten Pence. And uh, there, was a guy, there was a guy from Stern whose name I am. Oh, yeah. I'm so sorry. Not I, don't, thinking, don't I can't think of name. right now. Yeah. And I just re listened to the episode of um, Ten Pence when they talked about us because I am mean, nothing if not. Uh, you know, full of myself. So, uh, of course. yeah. So I, 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 I like me, 
you know, I like talking about me because I think I'm interesting. So, uh, so I was listening to what they were saying about me in that, but, uh, no, seriously, um, they're, they're, they're a great bunch of guys and, um, they yeah, are we, talking about coming out again at some point. Yeah. We but, throw uh, crap at each other all the time, but honestly yeah. it was, it was a hell of a fun night. Oh yeah. And seriously, as soon as I got it, we, we all met in Brookfield. We had uh, breakfast at Tony's. One of these days I want to get there for lunch. Cause I really love their burgers. I've got They're one of those burgers. places where they won't serve like non-breakfast food until it's a certain time. Come on, people. Yeah, you should serve everything anytime. Yeah, seriously. I don't like breakfast food except pancakes. One of the few restaurants that you can buy anything on their menu. No, you can't. I was going to say Burger King. You can buy burgers at breakfast, but you can't buy anything else at lunch, though. You can only buy lunch stuff later. Hmm. Hmm. And McDonald's is the opposite. You got to go to those like Greek owned uh, diary oh, yeah. places. Those are oh, awesome. Yeah. Those are always great. Yeah. Oh yeah. We found out Tony's is going to be moving down the street. Yeah. 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 So that's going to be interesting because right now they're across the street from the ghost. But, but yeah. So Victor Marland and uh, Sean Holly. It was nice to meet them. Yeah. And, seriously, uh, when I got in my car after I uh, left uh, Galloping Ghost, I thought to myself, I miss those guys already. Oh. They were seriously just... No, they were great guys. They, they were, they were they incredibly some, nice. They brought me some maps oh. from the UK. And they brought and uh, Sean brought my wife some uh, milk tray from the UK. Yeah, I saw that. And, um, <laughs> of course, they had biscuits. and One of them had biscuits and gravy there. And uh, they loved yeah, biscuits and gravy. Yeah, I think it was Sean Holly. I think it was Sean Holly, and he turned to me and he said, This is really scones. 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 Yes. And uh, he after I, made, I actually made biscuits and gravy for dinner the other day, and he's like... Um, I have to say that there is room in this world for both British biscuits and American biscuits. So <laughs> that was great. So I hung out more. With, I, I we hung out with both of them, but I think I hung out more a little bit more with uh, with Tronads and Sean. And um, it's just me hanging out with guys named Sean. I don't know what it is. So me and Sean were actually playing uh, one of my favorite games over at the Ghost. It's a rare game called Boogie Wings, the Great Ragtime Show. I need to check that out. He's talking that, uh, Sean Holly. By Sean Holly, yes. And that's just an amazing shoot 'em up. There's just so much going on and so many fun little touches in that game. And it was one of the last big, one of the last arcade releases from Data East. And it was just a that's just a great game. And I don't know if it's emulated or not. I'll have to. I have to look. I think it might be. So we had a lot of fun with them. We got a yep. got a bit of a tour of uh, one of the oh, ghosts' yeah. secret warehouses. We can't say anything about what's going on there because Doc said he will have to strangle us with his bare hands, and I think Doc he could, could do it. He, oh, he easily could. Yeah, easily. And he knows the guys from Mortal Kombat too, so oh, we yeah. have no. We have to keep the secret. Yeah. So Doc was uh, was accommodating as per usual. Um, nothing mm-hmm. unusual with him. As I've said about Doc before, the Galloping Ghost is his circus, and he's the ringmaster. Yep. Yep. He's a showman, and uh, he's very accommodating and very genial to his, the people in his audience. So, yeah. And I'm still a, not con- Yeah, We also saw one of our uh, Patreon sponsors uh, while we were there, too. So uh, shout out to uh, Tim Foley. Tim Foley, yeah. yes. And for some reason, I was thinking he was one of the employees at the Ghost. I think he may have had a Galloping Ghost uh, toque on. Well, so. he, he does have his own arcade, but, you know. In his garage. Yeah. It was an awesome time, and uh, it was a shame that, uh, you know, some of the other people that we've met over over time haven't been there, weren't there for that. But uh, it was yeah. still a great time. And, well, um, James White was there. I, mean, I, I am not convinced that he does not have a little apartment at Galloping Ghost. Yeah, no kidding. Well, but he does work at Lifetime Fitness, so maybe he just doesn't sleep at all 
Could be. Could be. Yeah, he just eats games and works. Yeah. He eats games so. and he works. Yeah. 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 Proper comma placement and you. And um, oh, and speaking of uh, interest in oh. hearing about yourself, um, I don't remember if this was before or after our previous episode, but um, I heard one of us launched a new podcast. One of us did. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Did I? I heard I one know, of us did. did. Maybe, yeah. maybe I did. I don't know. It wasn't you, was it? Might have been. Um, am hmm. I the host? What, of what would you have called it? Am I the host of autobiography of a schnook? Uh, are you a schnook? Yeah. Oh, maybe you did then. Oh, maybe I am. Yeah. It's, yeah. Uh, so that's where I talk about myself. It's actually a really good podcast. Shh. But I talk about myself, though. How can it be that good? Rush Limbaugh just talks about himself all the time, and he sucks. So yeah, but he's not a schnook, though. Yeah, it's true. Seriously, listen to it. It is a great. It is a great show. And actually, um, our friend Kevin Zerb uh, launched a new podcast oh, yeah. too, which I am. It's actually on the similar name. to mine. Actually, it is. Oh uh, yeah, is. we both uh, launched ours probably like the same week. I think. What, what the hell was the name of his? What the hell I was the name? Hmm. Hold, it's, hold um, on a sec, folks. <laughs> Overthinking. That's right, overthinking. Overthinking, which was kind of hard to find because there's a lot of over, over podcasts named Overthinking. Hmm. But um, but there's only one Zerb podcast which is called yeah, Overthinking. Overthinking. So. Yeah, we'll we'll uh, link that in the show notes. And uh, so we might want to check that one out too. And um, are you doing Patreon for your podcast? Um, not if I am. It's not gonna. It's not now. What I am thinking of doing is putting like a PayPal donate on it. Um, oh, okay. And also, there's a Redbubble account for my podcast for autobiography of a schnook. I actually have a couple of the items already. Oh, um, you can get uh, stickers just like with our Pie Factory podcast stuff. Uh, by the way, we also have a uh, Pie Factory podcast Redbubble store. Right now, it's just got Tinkle Pit stickers. Uh, we'll put a link to that in the show notes as well. You no, know you should have named your podcast Sean's Tinkle Pit. No, no. Okay. Well, yeah. maybe I'll name my podcast now. Yeah, yeah. I have actually been yours, thinking about... call your podcast Sean's Tinkle Pit. Yeah, why not? Basically, I just uploaded the artwork, and Redbubble kind of auto-generates the possible things you can order from it. You can actually order, like, little journals, which I, I oh, did neat. order a hardcover journal for myself just so I could have that. Oh, I got some cool. stickers. You can get t-shirts, which I don't, I don't know if the t-shirts will work because the color of the t-shirts might clash with the background color. Yeah, but I'm not. I guess it depends on what it is. Um, so you can get. To, I made damn well sure that you could get autobiography of a schnook tote bags because my podcast sounds like NPR. So you need hmm. a tote bag with that. I'd say I really love the introduction to your podcast. You're saying NPR, but I, I like the introduction. I'm not a. I'm a schnook. I, I love that. That's awesome. Just a schnook. Just a schnook. Yeah, very important there. And uh, let's see, there mini skirts too. How about a thong? Um, I'll have to look into that. I don't, I, I know don't Cafe know. Press does a thong. Hmm. So you could, you could, uh, we, you know, we should move all of the Pie Factory stuff over to Cafe Press so you can get a Pie Factory podcast thong. Yeah, that's, that's very yeah. true. Huh. Cause nothing says Pie Factory. Yeah. I'm not going to go there. Oh, I, I kind of right. do want to keep this somewhat family orientated, which is a word I hate, even though it's a real word. Yeah. So kind of like how bigly is a real word. Learn that. And biggins should be a word. It's not. 
I don't but think yeah, so. Yeah, bigly is actually a real word. The thing is, it's an antique. It's an antiquated real word. It hasn't been used since like 1542 or something. We should, you know what? We should get a, a, a dictionary of antiquated words and just start using them. Yeah, we should. Oh, speaking yeah. of which, uh, there are going to be some changes with Pie Factory Podcast this year, of which I can think there are one. Um, you know how last year I wanted to come up with a way to kind of gracefully sign myself off every episode? Mm-hmm. And I couldn't think of a single thing to say, like peace or be well or whatever. So I just said, eh, I'll just um, use an oxymoron. I'll just change it, use a different oxymoron every episode. I'm not going to do that this year. I'm going to oh. use redundancies this year. Redundancies. Oh. oh, one thing also, I do believe in the previous episode, we announced that uh, Sean's drinking arena was going away. Well, it is, but not yet, because uh, my local uh, frozen custard place got a fresh supply of drinks, and with it came some drinks that they both didn't carry before and hadn't carried in a long time from the Lester's Fixins line. And can we do Sean's Drinking Arena right now, because my throat is kind of sore-ish? Sure, let's do that. Cool. What? And I'm not going to go live with this or video myself, but what I have in my hand right now, it's nice and cold. 100% 100% natural mustard flavored soda. Oh, you got the mustard soda. I got the mustard soda. Okay. And the label looks a lot like a Heinz mustard bottle. Not French's, but Heinz. I actually like Heinz mustard. It, it's a little bit more vinegary than most mustards, but I do enjoy it. I don't put it on hot dogs, though, and I don't use French's either because they're both kind of strong for hot dogs. Mm-hmm. It's for kind of the same reason you don't want to put ketchup on a hot dog because there are other ingredients in that condiment that drown out the flavor of the beef. So I like to use a, a little like less harsh mustard like Plockmans, but this is mustard I love flavored Plockmans. soda. Plockmans is a brand from Mantino, Illinois. Yeah, actually. that's correct. Yeah. And uh, they won uh, an award at a mustard festival out in Sonoma or somewhere in California. Oh man, that's pretty impressive right there because out in uh, Northern California, uh, in San Francisco, there's a restaurant. I think there are a couple of them actually called Max's, mm-hmm. and one of their things is. They present you with a little revolving tray of mustards. Ooh, I must find this you, place. When you go there. My, my wife and I go there whenever we go to San Francisco. We're going in April, by the way. Ooh. Ooh. And to uh, to complete the mustard thing before you start drinking that, Plockman's makes a uh, a great Polish mustard called Koskukos? Kosku? I can't remember. It starts with Koskiusko? That might be it. And uh, they have make a really great beer mustard. Um, I can hmm. only find it at uh, at a Polish uh, grocery near where I work. Hmm. Oh, stuff is really good. Huh. Really good. Let so. me see how really good the Lester's Fixin's mustard soda is. It isn't. Uh, I can't wait for this. Hmm. I don't hate this. It doesn't taste like mustard, though. It smells like mustard, but... It's got a weird... It, it, the aftertaste tastes like rubber. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, the liquid... The soda, when it is actually in my mouth, doesn't taste bad. It just tastes like something you shouldn't be drinking. Hmm. For example, like, you have a bottle of grape juice, and you're washing and polishing your car, and next to your bottle of grape juice, you also have a bottle of car polish. Hmm. And you look away, you absentmindedly just grab the bottle and you just drink it and you realize it's car polish. <laughs> That's kind of what this mustard flavor soda is like. It makes you think you grabbed the wrong bottle of whatever it was you're supposed to be drinking. 
But yeah, the aftertaste tastes like a really thick rubber band. I don't recommend it, but it's not. This stuff is terrible. I hated it. And I love mustard. I put mustard on just about everything. Well, mm. maybe not just about everything, but I do put it, put it in quite a bit. So one of my chili recipes has a touch of mustard in it, and I put mustard mm. in baked beans. My mm. wife puts mustard in her mac and cheese. It actually actually makes a nice little Ooh, I have to tang try. to it. Have I ever done that? I might not have done that. Hmm. I don't know. Outside oh, you of, know what? I'll say this. If, if you can find a good beer mustard, get it. Beer mustard mm. is just mm, good stuff. Love it. I should talk about more uh, gaming that I've been doing. Uh, but Yeah, we should talk about gaming. Yeah, I got, um, I think it was back in the summer, I got a uh, iTunes gift card from uh, a listener of both this podcast and the Atari 7800 Homebrew podcast, which will be coming back sometime in the very near future. Oh, we'll talk about that in just a moment. And um, I used some of the gift card to get... Tomb Raider Anniversary from the iTunes store, from the Apple store, actually. No, the from the App store. The as Apple Tunes store. The Mac App store. I don't know what to make of it because it's it's like, because here I am spending 30-some years playing 30-some-year-old games, and then I jump into this, like, modern version of a, say, 15, 20-year-old game, and it's culture shock to me because I have to use a modern controller. With thumbs, two thumbsticks, a D-pad, shoulder buttons, and all kinds of stuff. And it's like a whole, a whole new dynamic. And mm-hmm. uh, I'm not very far in it yet. And I've had it for like two months, I think. Not oh, quite wow. two months. But hey, I didn't pay for it. Thank you, uh, Sing. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, what else did I get? I also saw that Cuphead was finally available for Mac. Oh. So I downloaded it. I haven't played it yet, though. Oh gosh, that but is I am an insanely to it. beautiful game. It's fun, but it is one of the hardest things I've ever played in my life. Hmm. It's it's really fun. It it can be quite addicting too. But what was I going to say? And let's see, I played uh, Toy Shop Trouble over uh, mm-hmm. December because I think Ferg was doing kind of like a mini challenge, uh, and I'm proud to say that I actually finished the game, mm-hmm. which is very difficult to do. By the way, yeah, I've had Toy Shop Trouble for like. 12 years now, 12, almost 13 years. Oh, wow. No, actually 12 years because it was about 12 years ago when I had like a mini Atari party and super cat who programmed toy shot trouble, toy shot, toy shop trouble brought his bare cartridge of toy shop trouble over and he actually left it in my apartment and I never gave it back to him until I saw him at Midwest gaming classic last year. (laughs) I was like, dude, I've had this in my apartment since 2006. Just take, because I messaged him several times. I was like, dude, let me send it to you. And he's like, oh, I don't know if I want to have it sent through the mail. We'll work something out. And, and it's like, I'll oh, just take it. Just get it out of my apartment. I finally handed it back to him. Nice. So I was so happy with that. And, oh, speaking of Midwest Gaming Classic, it is official. Uh, Pie Factory Podcast will, again, have a table. Yay. We're going we're gonna to have a co- at least one contest, which uh, we'll... Uh, talk about at a later time when I know for sure everything is going to work out. Mm-hmm. Um, spoiler alert, it means the prize hasn't arrived yet, and I don't think it's going to for a while yet because of supplies and and also because it takes time to uh, do it. So keep your ears open for that. Uh, going to be a, an amazing prize, too, I have to oh, say. Oh, heck yeah. And I don't know what else. Uh, so yes, we will definitely be at the Midwest Gaming Classic, and um, 
That's in Milwaukee. Yeah, in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And I've got my hotel room lined up, but it's not going to be oh, at good. the thing um, at the convention center because I, I, even with the discount, I just can't afford to stay there. So, yeah, we're going to be there. And what have I been doing gaming-wise? I'm curious. What have you been doing gaming-wise? Well, I uh, purchased the... Um, I don't remember if I mentioned this on the last episode or not, but the uh, 2016 remaster of the Duke of Duke Nukem 3D, which had uh, some new levels. Uh, there's the Birth, which was released several years back, and then uh, a newer set, which I can't remember the name of it, but he was basically going around the world, different places like Paris and in Las Vegas and, and Egypt and stuff like that. And and yes, I got uh, headaches and motion sickness again, but I just really love that game, despite the headaches and the motion sickness. Good Lord. And uh, so I've been playing that. I've been trying to get my Sega Saturn working. I'm still having issues with it. I think I'm closer to the problem, but we'll see. And I've just been having a lot of problems with my consoles lately. With my, uh, well, with my 7800, really. I hooked up two of my Sega Genesis controllers to it through the yeah. Ed adapter. Yeah. And they can't move down. Tried them on my Vision adapter on my computer, and they work just fine. Tells me the Ed Ladden adapter is a problem. Mm-hmm. Could be a broken pin. Could be. And then tried the uh, NES-style controller I got off from Danth Wander, Danth, Danth Waiter off, the, off of Atari Age. And yes. for some reason, the A button doesn't work on that. Yeah, huh. I don't know what that is, but my pain line controllers work just fine, as I'm good as can be. Because the one is uh, the one actually has a broken, you know how the 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 screw goes into like a little column to hold the two pieces of the shell together. Yeah, uh, one of those are broken, so the one isn't uh, isn't. But you as know, good. I don't actually own a pain line controller anymore. Really? Yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I just have a couple of Ed Ladd controllers. I have uh, some CX40s, and I have a couple of third party controllers. Of course, you got the besides- the, the twin stick Ed Ladd. So yeah. uh, the re- main reason I have them is, A, they came with my 7800 when I bought it way yeah. back in the late 80s, early 90s. Wow, I'm still on my original, well, we told the story, it's not technically my original, but might as well be my original 7800. But I also built like a little adapter so that I can play Robotron 2 player with Hold them. it, hold it, hold it. Oh, boy. This week in Robotron. Okay. So, yeah, so I can play that game with a two player. And then I've been having trouble with my Mateos cart. It's I don't I don't know if it's the the cable it comes with it or not, but it's like I it's like I plug it in, and Windows detects it, but then it like says that the device has failed. Sometimes it'll work, sometimes it won't. Sometimes it'll work for a short period of time and then fail. I don't know what's going on there. And hasn't uh, um, is, is it Windows ten? It's on Windows ten. That's that might be the problem right there because I know it's very spotty with Windows. Yeah, it's got a problem with newer operating systems like. Uh, New, the new the last few Mac operating systems yeah. you, have to, you have to do a, a trick to I get remember it to that. work and, and I know that Windows 10 also has its own issues well I'm yeah it sure does there's, it but there's a there's a batch file to pull a, uh, a hidden directory off of it and I run that every time but this is a something different I don't I don't know what it is so I'm gonna have to test that out might might do that at uh, Midwest Gaming Classic or something. And what's a shame is that Juan Mateo seems to have fallen off the face of the earth. Yes, I know. I don't know what the hell's up with that. That's a little sad, really. Because he makes this... I mean, this is, despite my problems, this is a great product. And I really like it, but, you know... His website's still up. Yeah. I don't know. It's it'd be interesting to find out what happened. I I hope nothing bad happened to him. Yeah, I hope so. That's the, the the, the first thing I'm like... 
thinking, wow, I wonder what happened to him. And then I'm like, oh, I hope nothing bad happened to him. That was the second thing. So Yeah, I mean, he, it used to be that he took a long time to respond anyway, but mm-hmm. I mean, he's like just not responding at all now. I don't know. Yeah. There's some great news in the Atari 7800 front. Holy crap, yeah. That's amazing news is uh, that uh, Bob DiCrescenzo along with... Um, who is... Oh, who's the other guy? Um, uh, that would be Kurt... Um, oh, what the hell is his name? I think it's Kurt Wallach. Or something close to... This, or if not, it's something close to that. But but Baby Pac-Man is nearing completion uh, programming for the Atari 7800. I mean, they're just really ironing out bugs right now. And... Um, I've uh, been playing it in emulation and on my 7800 with the Mateo Scart when I can get that to work. Yeah. And um, it's really amazing, and I would go as far to say it's probably the best game ever made for the 7800, even better than Food Fight and Ball Blazer. What's better about it, though? It's... I'll put it this way. I don't like the game itself. Uh-huh. I like the conversion of it, though, because it's just freaking insane. Like, how f- the depths that that Bob and Kurt went through for this. Well, I, th- I think it works better on a seven, on a 7,800 than it does in the arcade because it's the, um, because, well, first of all, there's no pinball games on the 7,800 until now. And so it's filling, it's filling a hole in the, in the library. Yeah. And, um, this is fun to play. I, I don't know. I, I have more fun with it than I do at the arcade. I don't know. I mean, and, uh, it is configurable. Not... I mean, you got a lot of different options that you can yep. put on it, and uh, you can choose to play either just the pinball or just the uh, the, video the video game, game. The, the maze portion of it, which I haven't done that yet. I wonder if it has all the energizers and stuff on that. Oh, I didn't try that yet. I have to try, check that out. I think it's really fun. I, I think it's it's a, it's a great title, and, uh, it really and Bob's is. already talked about what he's going to be doing next. He's going to basically be uh, going through stuff projects that he started and finishing them up. So I hope uh, one of them is the previous pinball game he st- he started working on. I don't know about that one. I think yeah, he he started working on a game called Pin Out, which he was going to base on Bomb B. Which oh, was, I remember that uh, now. Yes, yeah. Which uh, those of you who don't know, Bomb B is a sequel to GB. Both of those of games were done by Toru Iwatani, the creator of Pac Man. Now Toru started at Namco, thinking he was going to design pinball machines. That's what he liked doing. But when they hired him, that's when they actually discontinued doing pinball. So as kind of a compromise, he came up with a pinball video game, and he called it GB. And it's actually kind of uh, like breakout in a pinball-style game. Mm -hmm. And so that's what Bob was doing, and he couldn't quite figure it out. It was a great game So it ended up being Crazy Bricks, which was a breakout clone. Okay. There was a great uh, game like that on the ColecoVision flashback. It was by Spectre Video, but I can't think of the name of it off the top of my head. It was something similar, but um, but he, I think he was talking about he, uh, more recently. There was a, an adventure game he was working on. It was uh, using uh, similar graphics and style of gameplay. He, he basically is going to be like a mashup of Advanced Dungeons and Dragons, Cloudy Mountain, and Atari Adventure. Was so, it Adventure Three: Race for the Chalice? Ah, uh, no. Oh, I don't think so. Maybe it was. I don't know. And I thought he had mentioned he was going to look at uh, finishing up his uh, conversion of Defender and uh, Resolve, which that I saw. I remember following that thread really early on, and that looked like a great game. It was like a top-down uh, zombie sur- horror survival type game, which looked kind of neat. But um, hmm. one thing I did forget to mention about gaming is um, I picked up one of those uh, at Games Legends flashbacks. Hmm. Which has the device has fifty built-in games, a combination of arcade titles and 
and NES games. This got like NES, Tetris, oh, actually, which we're going to be talking about tonight. Um, oh, really? Well, Tetris, not necessarily NES one. And uh, it's got uh, like Mega Man, Mega Man 2. It's also got like Street Fighter and Burger Time and um, Commando. Um, it's got 50 built-in games. I was playing Street Fighter 2 against my son the previous weekend from when we were recording this. <laughs> and, uh, you know, he kicked my ass, even though he had never played the game before, and I've played it a handful of times. Another game we got to talk about that I'm not really looking forward to, but maybe I'll get better at it. Maybe I'll like it better. I don't know. But, uh, so, yeah, my son kicked me, kicked my ass at Street Fighter 2. But with a firmware upgrade, and I posted about this actually on our oh, Facebook okay. page. Oh, okay. I do seem to remember you posting yes, this. Yes, with a firmware upgrade, and uh, we'll link to the, uh, the thread on Atari Age in the show notes, that uh, it can actually also play... More arcade games, NES games, Genesis games, and I haven't figured out yet, but uh, Sega Master System games. Huh. Um, some of the ROM, the, the like the NES games, you have to change the the extension to DAT. I can't remember what you had to do for the Genesis games off the top of my head, uh, and none of the game titles can have spaces in them, and uh, hmm. it'll run most of the games. I'm thinking about going through making a uh, curating a set of. Uh, ROMs for people that do legally own the games, mind you. Not all of them work with it. There was up until recently an issue with uh, most Williams arcade games not running on them, but that got fixed. And now there's an issue with other Williams games uh, of the uh, Smash TV Terminator 2 Mortal Kombat era where they won't display properly. But, uh, I mean, not everything's going to play on it because it's based on the MAME 2000, maybe MAME 2003 ROM set, which is an old ROM set. So not everything's on there, but uh, plays uh, some games on there really good. Uh, plays cool. iRobot pretty well, and uh, uh, I haven't tried Two Tigers. But at any rate, the console is also compatible with uh, say standard Sega Genesis controllers, so you can use those on it. Unlike you know what they did with the ColecoVision and the Intellivision flashback units, where oh, the controllers yeah. are not interchangeable, which was a dumb idea. But I guess I sort of understand that because those are more complex controllers. So, yeah, if you can find one of these for, like, about 40, 45 bucks or so, I'd say pick it up, flash the firmware, and uh, go to town. Oh, yeah, yeah the, uh, the the ROMs for um, for the arcade games, uh, you keep them in zip format, but you change it from zip to zim, the extension. Zim? Zim, huh. Z-I-M, for some reason. Don't ask me why, but they work. Why? Oh, never mind. No, zim with an M, not a Y. There you go. So that's a fun little thing, and the thing is about the size of, uh, I don't know, Cleveland? Eh, maybe a little smaller than Cleveland. It's uh, about the quarter of a size of an Atari 7800, maybe. Oh, so about the size of a 2600 Junior. No, smaller than that. Smaller than Whoa. That. Yeah, it's, uh, I'd say it's the, it's the size of my uh, Raspberry Pi enclosure that I have here, but I don't know if anybody knows how large that is. Maybe it's like six inches by six inches. Hmm. Square. And so, it's, it, it is HDMI only, so... okay. Check it out. It's. I think it's worth it. There are a few sound issues I've noticed on some of the games. And like I said, the emulation is kind of spotty with some games, but you know, it's based on an older ROM set, so it's to be ah. expected. But if you don't want to go through the hassle of setting up a Raspberry Pi, this is an easier uh, easier way to uh, to get in some uh, some emulation. Anywho. So, anyway, um, you know, we, uh, we have an email. Oh, we do? Yeah, I was going to ask, do we have any... I, seriously, I, my life has been so Pi Factory free for a long time except i am listening to our older episodes because i designated myself the official statistician for pie mm -hmm. factory podcast and oh. by the way i know this is our podcast but i want to make an executive decision right here 
Okay. We are not going to mention Ferg tonight because we we mention Ferg all the time in all our other episodes. So tonight, no mentions of Ferg. The Ferg free episode. Yes. Okay. Okay. Good. We won't talk about Ferg. So, but I, we will talk about Jimmy Brazell. Um, oh, I think that's how you pronounce tell. his last name. Uh, please correct us if you're if if you're wrong. Please correct us if we're wrong. But um, uh, apologize for not actually uh, getting responding to your email. It's uh, first of all, you sent this the day after Christmas. So, but uh, but we do seriously enjoy reading the emails from yes, all of our uh, from all of our listeners. And then we uh, then we enjoy uh, deleting them even more. Of course. But though, but we do enjoy reading them even more than that. So let's read this one here. I'll I'll go through. It's not that long. From Jimmy Brazil. And like I said, if we're pronouncing it wrong, let us know. Um, hey there. Hope you've gotten rest and had good times over the holidays. I am going to start sending in an email talking about some of my memories of games you've already gone over on past episodes. Hopefully, we will not have some hiccups again like my first email I sent. Oh, that's right. He sent us one previously where it uh, it uh, like cut off like halfway through or some. Yeah. Some. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, the part that I that did get skipped was mainly talking about games I played at Richardson Square Mall and other locations. So I, as I talk about the games themselves, that will all become clear. I will try to limit to two or limit it to two or three episodes and the only games I have some experience with growing up per email to help you guys from getting hoarse in the episode. Uh, too late. Uh, <laughs> episode one, Donkey Kong. I first played Donkey Kong at the Mr. M Food Store. Mr. M Food Store here in Rowlett. Rowlett. Hmm. I'm sure it'll yeah. be pleasantly, or it'll be made known what state that is. In Rowlett. Uh, spent many a quarter in this machine. I will never forget the pride I felt the first time I reached the pie factory level. Hey! Self-promotion. Or as they uh, say on the CinemaSins uh, YouTube channel, roll credit. Um, I really hated the springs on the elevator level, but besides that, I also love the game. Or love this game. This game is probably in my top ten all time. I played the 2600 version for years, then got the NES, which was good, but only three levels. Then, one time on Nintendo's Club Nintendo website, they offered the complete Donkey Kong. I was able to get a copy of this and finally had all four levels on a home system. That is how I get my chances now to play it. Which, um, I don't know if we've mentioned this, but, uh... They have Donkey Kong available for purchase on the Nintendo Switch. And it's the very, very first time Nintendo actually released the arcade Donkey Kong. That's just wrong. On on a console. This is the actual arcade code emulated on the Switch. So it's the very first time Nintendo's ever done that. So good on you, Nintendo, but what took you so long? Yeah, what really? Yeah. Uh, but I think Nintendo's learning from their past mistakes and now is learning that, uh, hey, a lot of people want our old IPs. Maybe we should milk that for a while. Good on you. Uh, continuing. Donkey Kong 3. I first played this at the entrance to the Tom Thumb near Firewheel in Garland. In Garland. I wonder if he's in Texas. Um, it was totally different from the other entries in the series, but it does have its own appeal. I have a love for shooters, and this had just enough feel for that. Plus, who does not love the face Donkey Kong gives you when you shoot him up the behind? Okay, I have to admit, that was pretty funny. I don't yes. think we mentioned that in that episode. Um, this game would probably end up in my top 30. Episode 3, Zaxxon. I played one, this one at the Mr. M. Mr. M. <clears throat> I was blown away by the perspective, but was never really good at it. Then I watched someone who was good and learned the tricks to figure out your height. After that, I was way better and would clear many floating castles. I also loved how the joystick did feel like something you would see from Battlestar Galactica. This game would probably end up in my top 20. Again, I don't know if I mentioned this in the Zaxxon 
uh, episode, but there was an old episode of one of the Roger Ebert and Gene Siskel movie review shows, and they were talking about the the whole, it was a special episode about the impact of Star Wars on uh, popular culture, and they're like, look at this scene from this video game. Does this not remind you of Star Wars? And they showed a, a scene of the uh, the space scene from Zaxxon in the, uh, in the episode. I don't remember if you mentioned that. And I just listened to that episode last week. I mentioned it now, so the point is moot. So, yep. there you go. Mortal Kombat. I was out of the arcades when all the fighting games came to be the fad, but I think I saw it first at a putt-putt place in Richardson called Twin Rivers. Oh, he's definitely in Texas. Yeah, Richardson, yeah. Richardson and Garland. So, uh, I wonder if that's where our friend Andy lives, The air, about the area he lives. He's in um, is DFW that in the Dallas area. metro, it's, I think? I think it might be. Well, he's in there, but I think these towns yeah. are in that kind of area. We'll have to, have to look that up. Yeah, when Mortal Kombat and all the fighting games came out, I pretty much moved over to pinball at that point. Um, there were still some good games out, but yeah, I, I'm just not a fighting guy, fighting game guy. Especially since my son kicked my ass at Street Super Street Fighter 2. Ah. Uh, well, anyway, episode six. Burger Time. Not sure where I saw this one first, but both were pizza places called Pistol Pizza or Showtime Pizza. I do remember one time playing this game with a bunch of friends, and when I had finished, one of my friends said they had this game at home. We did not believe them, so we told them to prove it. We went to their house, and the next thing we knew, we were playing Burger Time on the Intellivision. It was a pretty good version, but took some getting used to with the controller. I would probably rank this game rank this game as top 20. And again, when Mattel made the Intellivision, the biggest mistake they made wasn't so much the controller, but also not making the controller easy to swap out like the 2600 was. Yeah, yeah, you, 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 you still plugged it in and out, but you had to crack the case open and all that. Yeah. It's just a hassle. At least with the 2600, you just boop, you know, pull the cord out, plug the cord back in, you're done. I think with every other console. Yeah. So, well, not the Odyssey 2. The Odyssey 2, I think you had to do that Oh, also. really? I think so. Huh. I've never owned an Odyssey Okay, 2. well, every other, like, worthwhile console, I'll, I'll just say. Oh, there you go. Sorry. Ms. Pac-Man. I remember this game mainly at, Miss, at the Mr. M. Can I interrupt you for a moment, please? Sure. Why every time you say the name of that place, you say it like a snooty lawyer who's, who's doing a cross-examination? It's my impersonation of, of Mr. Food. See, is it oh, Mr. M. Food. okay. Whenever he did those segments on the news, he goes, this is They'd Mr. Always say food. Mr. Food. Yes, that's true. So that's, that's my take on Mr. Food. So Mr. M. But I saw it in a lot of different arcades growing up. It was a nice improvement for Pac-Man with the different mazes and moving prizes, but I was never hooked on this game as I was the original Pac-Man. I would play it from time to time, but it never drew me in like some other games have. I would probably rate this game a top 30 for me. You know, everybody's got their favorite take yeah. on the Pac-Man, on the Pac-Man series, Pac-Man formula, with the exception of you know Professor Pac-Man, which everybody hates. I think that's a law. But um, everybody's got their favorite. Uh, mine is, uh, you know, mine is uh, Super Pac-Man, Pac-Mania. Yeah, I've, I've never heard of anybody not really preferring Ms. Pac-Man before. But then again, I'm the one person who doesn't like the any. Well, actually, any of the Galaxian games. That's true. So hey, every everybody's got something. Everybody's got their thing. Everybody needs some game to love. Some game to love. Some game to love. But anyway, well, I'll end it here for now. Keep up the great work insert joke here and i will look forward that was that was jim saying that not jimmy jimmy ah, jimmy gotcha. yeah, i'm glad i cleared that up so there and i look forward to hearing about more arcade games i grew up with have a great day jimmy and uh, thank you jimmy thank you and uh, you know what i'm gonna actually respond to this email just let you know that we got it and that we recorded it because i feel bad about it's a month later a little bit over a month later yeah. and i haven't responded to it so uh there you go but uh 
thank you, uh, thank you, Jimmy, for your email again. And um, yeah, thank you. We didn't hear from Eugenio. Yeah, well, I think we, he caught up on the did last. Did he catch up? The last, Let me have. Yeah. Oh yeah, and since we didn't announce this episode, he's going to have to play a little bit more catch up, I guess. Interesting t- talking about catch up and you drank a mustard drink. Anyway, I'm telling you, yeah. So um, thank you, and uh, keep the emails coming. And we don't yeah. all. We also, if you have an audio file you'd like us to play, uh, send yeah. that to us. You know, we'll, yeah. we'll take we'll take voice. We'll t- you know, we I don't think we've made that absolutely clear. Maybe you yeah, just don't have a great been. voice, but Sean and I don't have great voices, and here we are recording. So don't yeah. let that stop you. Yeah, and um, that's PyFactory at Fab4IT.com or PyFactoryPodcast at Fab4IT.com. And the reason we have those two different names is because I could never remember never remember our email address. Yeah, I, I had a, now I'm, I'm going to be honest, I couldn't remember either, and I'm the one who set them up. There you go. So, yeah. And going is half going the battle. Yep, G.I. Joe. Uh, uh, did we have any addenda and errata? And I'm pretty sure we do, but I just don't remember what they were. I don't either. I don't see any emails. I thought that I had like private messaged you about something. Maybe you like, did. Oh, we haven't, but I couldn't find it. Uh, do we have anything on Atari age? I don't think we do. Let's or see or are got. we just better than we thought? I think people just forgot about us. Oh, that's Which true. Is understandable. Yeah. I forget about me too. Oh, we actually have something on here from S fifteen hundred. Oh, S fifteen hundred. I do remember playing uh, Solvalu. Solvalau, isn't it? Solvalu. Uh, spelling, not, no, not going to the internet to find the correct spelling. Really, I have better things to do. That's getting into ADD territory. Did you get the gist of the game, even though I might not score 100% on the Namco video game spelling contest? Good. Billy, grade two from Kane, Illinois, will get the trophy. I don't need one. Okay. I do remember playing Solvalu, uh, parentheses, blah, 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 in the arcades. I enjoyed it, even though I'm not into anything typically on rails. It was the earliest I can imagine a 2D to 3D reboot sequel. Sadly, MAME crashes and burns on it for me as well. Too bad since it has that cool Cylon voice. Yeah, I was doing some digging into that. In early versions of MAME, it works, but the more recent ones, it doesn't. Oh. It crashes out, crashes after like a minute, two minutes of play. Yeah, I hate when upgrades like make things not work. Yeah, and it's been on the, uh, on the bug list for quite some time, and I don't know if there's anything uh. going on with it. And the most recent message on Atari Age is from... Natio, which is, uh, ah. he is with the, what is the podcast? Memory Machine. Memory Machine on the Geekiverse Network. Yes. Um, he's interviewed us a couple of times, uh, but he's saying, I'm listening to the most recent uh, cast now and just want to say I love this podcast. You guys are so much fun uh-huh. to listen to. And yes, there should be a fi- Pie Factory prophecies, Prophesizes segment done in the style of the great Criswell. Hmm. Uh, you're giving me ideas. It's not a good idea. So thank you, Nate. And that is the last uh, message we have there. And yeah. that was uh, from December 30th. So exactly a month ago. Yeah. We're catching up. By the way, uh, once again, uh, we, we apologize for the uh, mysterious uh, Patreon thing that happened. Even though we disabled Patreon, it still collected the donations. I don't know why. So thank you, everyone, for your yes. feigning interest in our podcast. Exactly, yes. Yes. So, and I think we are all caught up with all of the shenanigans and uh, falderals uh, of the yes. last month or two. And uh, Wow. Yeah, it's been two months. Man. Wait, has it? I, I don't no, know. I think it was no, we recorded in, into, we're a month and a we half. We did record something in December, I know that. Yeah, so we're about a month and a half. Yeah. We're six weeks. That's actually not as long as I thought. Yeah. So I think with all of that fall to roll and to do out of the way, and uh, we should get on with the shenanigans of talking about Ooh, some games. Yes, yeah. Why don't we do that then? So uh, why don't we talk about? Um, you know what? 
I'm gonna I'm gonna actually suggest a genre of game to talk about. Oh, and then you get to then you get to uh, talk about the talk about the game. You just make it up on the fly. So let's talk about a puzzle game. Oh, like columns. Oh, I see what you did there. <laughs> well, yes. Let's talk about columns. Ah, yes. Um, hmm. Oh, we what's our think new, new lead-in this year? Or do we have yeah. a new one this year? I don't think we've decided anything. What? Aha! Columns. There we go. That's it. Aha! Aha. So, yes, columns. Now, as I pull my notes up here. Yes, it's a... Columns is from Sega. From Sega! From 1990. It's uh, got a four-way joystick and a rotate button. It's a two-player simultaneous game. So, there will be two joysticks. And two buttons. And the object of the game is a column of gems, which is three gems high, falls from the top of the screen. And then what you got to do is you got to connect three or more gems in, uh, in columns, rows, or diagonals at the bottom. Kind of claxy in a way. This is a very claxy mm-hmm. game. And this is a very claxy episode. Isn't it? Yeah. So, uh, however, the rotate button, what it does is it rearranges the order of the gems. So say like the gems are in order of like ABC, you hit the rotate button, then it's CAB, and then you hit the rotate button again, then it's BCA, and then you hit it again, then it's back to ABC. So it rotates them kind of like in a, in a, in a loop. And uh, again, get three of the same kind of gem in a row, diagonal column, whatever. So there are six different kinds of gems. Um, when you play the game, it, it does. You, if you pl- well, first of all, you get to select three different levels of play, and on the easier level, it will offer you play hints until level three. So, like if it sees somewhere that you can create, uh, you can get rid of some gems. It'll like blink like a square around the around the gems that you can the gems between me and the other gem. Uh, this is going to be interesting. No, uh, around the other gems, so that you can make you know. To get rid of all those gems. And then, of course, it starts like a cascade effect when everything falls down and you can get, like, big bonus points. I didn't bother looking into the scoring. This is one of those games where it's like, there's just so much going on, it's not really worth looking into the scoring. Yeah, right. From what I can un- understand, this game is apparently uh, maxes out at a score of 99,999 points. I have not verified that. Uh, I don't know what you got in the way of high scores for the game, if it bears that out or not, but... Oh, just you wait, matey. Oh, arr. So, uh, not a whole lot to say about this game. I mean, the puzzle games are kind of simple, and and there's not really a whole lot to say about some of them. This is probably the most simple puzzle game out there. The game was made available on home systems for the Genesis, the Sega Master System, the Saturn, and the Game Gear, which, from what I've been able to ascertain, that Columns was the first pack-in game for the Game Gear. And, of course, it's been available in various uh, compilations over the years. There were two sequels, Columns 2, The Voyage Through Time, and Columns 3, Revenge of Columns. Revenge of Columns. Revenge of Columns. Yeah, Columns will pay. (laughs) There was uh, Arkanoid, again, a game we need to talk about. There was a sequel to it, Arkanoid 2, The Revenge of... So, maybe we should do a Simpsons episode with that one. I don't know. There is one other Simpsons arcade game we've not talked about. Simpsons Bowling. Yep. Which I haven't played it, but my son loves it. <laughs> so, anyway, but uh, some uh, some interesting uh, trivia here. Collins was actually created by a guy named Jay Gerstein while he was working at Hewlett Packard in 1989. Huh. 
and he created the, the original game for the HP UX operating system uh, using the X Windows windowing system. Oh, awesome. Yeah, and uh, early versions of it, pre-Sega, he brought to DOS, or, well, not brought to DOS, but uh, early versions uh, pre-Sega were brought to DOS and the Atari ST in 1989, and the Macintosh and Windows 3. whatever systems in 1990. <laughs> So there's that. In 1990, of course, he famously sold the rights to a Sega. Maybe not famously, but yeah, he did sell like, the rights to Sega. There you go. Um, in Brazil, it is known as Shapes and Columns because Avon Products already registered a product with the name of Columns in that oh, country. Interesting. So that's interesting. Yeah, I'm kind of curious what that is. But I, I sounded so sincere about that. Interesting. Oh, yeah, I know. <laughs> but to be fair, growing up, Avon did have some cool stuff. Like, my dad would get cologne, and it would be like in a fire engine type decanter or a, a steam engine. Oh, so that way you know it's for cool. men. That way you know it's for men, yep. yes. But uh, I think this is the most interesting bit of trivia about uh, about the game here. Uh, there was a Super Famicom version for it in Japan, but it was only released for the Nintendo Power Service. Oh, really? Do you know what that is? Wasn't that like some kind of online thingy? No, it was different. Uh, it was a flash cart. Hmm. However, in like different stores, there would be a kiosk with games in it. Oh. You put the flash cart in, you pay for the game, and it would load the game to your flash cart, and you can take the flash cart home. Huh. So uh, that was kind of neat. Uh, that, yeah. Nintendo also had that system, from what I understand, on a limited trial in China. No, not a limited trial. Well, let's put it this way. Uh, I do remember there being some YouTube videos on it. I think with the the gaming historian was talking about the about this system, and um, we're going to be mentioning him again in a little bit. But I thought that was a rather unique idea. It was uh, taking something that most retro gamers take for granted now. I mean, there are flash cards for pretty much every system out oh, there. Oh yeah. And uh, this is Nintendo doing the flash card thing before anybody else did it, and I thought that was kind of neat. I mean, I guess maybe the uh, the um, the Sega Channel thing and the, that that uh, game line and the the Intellivision system also is kind of the same thing. You just downloaded them from you know a, a central server or whatever. But uh, it's kind of like the uh, but this is kind of like the red box of its day, if you will. Hmm. Yeah, and, um, I'd love to see one of those. It'd be neat if they if somebody had one of those kiosks at uh, Midwest Gaming Classic. You know, some collectors here in the states have them. Yeah, but uh, so that's. Pretty much everything I need to say about columns. What about, uh, let's talk about high scores for columns. Oh, for Pete's sake, who cares about high scores? Pete does. I mean, it is his sake. All right, fine, fine. Pete, here you go. Here's some high scores for you. The uh, record that Orcade.com has, A-U-R-C-A-D-E, is held by uh, Mike McCarthy. Uh Uh-huh. With a score of a million three hundred thousand two hundred and thirty-three. And so I'm was, wondering if maybe the score rolls at 99999 I would imagine. I would imagine. But that was performed January 9th, 2017 at the Galloping Ghost Arcade Incorporated. Shock. Actually, is it incorporated? I don't know. And Twin Galaxies, which is uh, the other major scoreboard, shows uh, Hector Cunat Nunez, or maybe Nunez. They might have forgotten. An, I say it's probably Nunez. A million seventy two thousand three hundred nineteen, and that was verified on DVD on June twenty six two thousand ten. Both of these are basically factory default settings, by the way. Normal difficulty, and by the way, uh, Galloping Ghost, where the Orcade record was set, 
That's mm-hmm. where I first played the arcade columns. Yes. I first played the arcade columns at uh, Aladdin's Castle, Louis Joliet Mall. I don't remember ever seeing an arcade version until Galloping Ghost. And I remember thinking, wait, there's an arcade version of this? Mm-hmm. Yes, there is. And I do remember seeing it at Aladdin's Castle, but that was after I had played it on the uh, the Sega Genesis, uh, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, it I played was, it on the- I didn't know of the game, didn't hear of it until I heard it was out for that. So yeah, I knew of it from the Game Gear. I didn't have one, but my brother did. Ah, and I loved the Game Gear version. I, I still haven't, I haven't found a good version of it since the Game Gear, or at least I've one that I really like. I played it on the Sega Master System, um, on my uh, flash card here because you know I, I don't want to break my card out, you know, you know, But, um, I don't care for it on the Master System. Really. Let's put it this way. You remember uh, we t- when we talked about Clax, we, we we've talked about the twenty six hundred version of Clax a few times. Yeah, and how it's it's basically like the screen is like real tiny in the middle, and it's like mm-hmm. kind of hard to see. I think it's still fun despite the limitations or whatever. The Sega Master System version, the screen is like that. It's like really tiny, and I would say the pieces are smaller looking than the Clax for the twenty six hundred. You know, I'm surprised it's not more like the Game Gear version because isn't the Game Gear basically a tiny version of the SMS? They're similar. They're very extremely similar systems. Hmm. Uh they're not exactly the same, but it is easy sure. to convert. For example, I do have some uh Game Gear games that have been converted over to the Sega Master system right here on my uh, EverDrive. Hmm. So no, it's it's not unheard of. The main thing with the Game Gear is any game that requires use of the pause button uh, won't work on it, or any of the accessories like the light gun or the 3D glasses. So uh, you can't play any of those. Like, So you can't play sure. uh, the amazing Fantasy Star on it, which is really pretty much the only RPG that I really like. So, Although I've been playing Yeez lately on the Sega Master System, too. I haven't played it in a week or two, but pretty far in that one, which is weird. So yeah. It took me a while to get into that one. Yeez, it's spelled Y-S. Yeez. Hmm. Figure that out. No, thank you. So, anyway, yeah, I'm not a fan of the Master System version. The Genesis version I really like. Uh, I think that's a great version. But uh, we're talking about the arcade game. And um, then, to be fair, I mean, it looks and plays exactly like the Genesis version. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, it's, the music is great. There's, like, three different songs in the game. It's got the, the music has got kind of an ancient Greek feel to it. And that's the really the theme of the game, because they have, like, Greek pictures and stuff. I mean, think about it. The Parthenon and columns. You know, when you think of the Parthenon, the first thing you think of are the columns. Yeah, of course. Uh, and uh, so, columns, Greek, you know, it's an interesting puzzle tie into Greek mythology. And I think that was kind of neat. And um, not really a whole lot to say about the game. I mean, it's a, it's a typical puzzle game. I wouldn't say it's no frills, but it's maybe a step above no frills. Sure, yeah. But it's fun. You know, nothing to complain about the gameplay. I, I think it's actually, an, when it comes to gameplay components, it's kind of an easier version of Clax. There's definitely some a lot of similarities between this and Clax, other than just the, the fact that they're both puzzle games. The fact that you have to get three gems in a row, of, in a row column or diagonal, uh, versus Clax, where you got to get three, of a, three or more of the same color in a, in a vertical, horizontal, or diagonal. It's the same. It's just the method of creating these uh, groupings of of gems or colors or whatever are different. And I think from a logic perspective, it makes more sense than Clax. Like it's, I mean, in Clax, I mean, you push down to make the move faster, you push up to throw them back. 
and you got to put the paddle under it. Otherwise, you'll drop it or whatever. There's a lot to, to think about. Sure. Planks is fun, but it's not as approachable as columns, I would say. Well, yeah, because it takes some figuring out. Clax is basically a, I don't know, I'd like to think of it as a fancier, slightly more complicated version of columns. I mean, either way. But there's a, there is a lot of crossover between them. Yeah. Columns is the more approachable of the two games. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, hey, look what I'm doing. I'm rotating the uh, the gems in the column. I mean, that's that's easy enough to figure out, you know. Yeah. Versus, like I was just saying. So, um, yeah. I, I, I like this game, too. I generally don't do a lot of puzzle games when I go to the arcade, though. Because you can play most of those at home. And I think they generally work better at home for the most part, other than Clax, which was actually came out in the arcade first. But um, I'm going to go ahead and rate this right now, actually, oh. uh, as long as we're there. I'm going to give it a three. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, like I said, I like it. It's approachable. But it's just not a game I go back to because when you know, I go to an arcade, I generally, with the exception of Clax, uh, I don't go to many puzzle games. I was going to say Rampart, but Rampart's actually a cross-genre game. I would um, never call that a puzzle game. Well, there are puzzle elements in it. Puzzling, like the, the, maybe. The, but... the, the, the wall-building portion is like a, a top-down Tetris, so to speak. But but yeah, so I think I think a 3 is a fair rating. I, I, don't, I don't hate the game. I just don't go back to it. Yeah, me too. Like, seriously, I... Okay, actually, take it back. There is a version of Columns that I do like that's not the Game Gear version. Oh? But I think it's just because of perspective. Hmm. It's actually another Super Cat homebrew for the Atari 2600. It's called Strato Gems Deluxe. Oh, that's what Strato Gems is. I keep yep. seeing that in the store, and I'm like wondering what it is. I never, yeah, I don't, it's did they really, have a video really cool. in, the, in, the, in the catalog? I don't yeah. know that. Yeah, it's really cool. It's really cool. I have it, and it's Atari Vox game, so it actually Oh, I'll have to check talks. that out. Yep. I'll bring that with to uh, Midwest Gaming Classic. Ooh, maybe I should, yeah. Yeah. Ooh. I've not played that one. I don't own any 2600 homebrews. Really? Yeah, I need to I need to rectify that. There's a oh, few that I want. You need to get yourself Draconian. Draconian. And uh, I want to get uh, I want to get that game Anguna. I've been playing that in emulation. I'm like, wow, I want to try this out. That's a that's a great uh, adventure type Mappy game. Mappy is just stunning. <sighs> oh yeah, and then Both in quality we forgot to mention price. that he's working on Zookeeper. Oh my goodness, yes, yes, yeah, yes. There is another game he's going to do actually just slightly before, but it's one he'd worked on previously. Oh, I think it was, a, it was a, I don't remember the name of it, but it was actually a game we talked about recently. It's a conversion. He's going to finish up his uh, conversion of Avalanche that he was working on. Yes, that's right, yeah. Yeah, so that's going to be uh, interesting. And uh, the he we're talking about is John Shampo. Yes, of so, games. Uh, so, oh, I forgot to mention about the Avalanche one. I'm kind of curious about that because I... I I like Avalanche and the 8-bit, and uh, it'd hmm. be interesting to see what he does with that on the yeah. 2600. And uh, from what I've seen so far, it looks really good. You're reading columns of three, huh? Yep, I'm reading it a three. I'm going to rate it three continues as well. I mean, it's not bad, but the thing is, like, I don't know. It might just be because it was the Game Gear, because I thought it was, like, just really cool to have a full-color screen mm-hmm. in the palm of your hands and something, and just the way that that particular game looks on a small screen. That's mm-hmm. probably, and especially in the dark. Yeah, like I said, I think my thing with the game is I think it just works better at home than it does in the arcade. Yeah, yeah, I see you there. And there's just all there is to it. I mean, and I think and the thing is, Clax works really well wherever you play it. True. So, but uh, but this is why I think it works better at home than it does. Again, don't hate it. I'd rather play it at home. So, anyway, don't hate it. Would rather play it at home. Don't tell me not to hate it. 
Jeez. I, I don't hate it. Are you a hater? I don't know. I, I'm a member of the Atari Age Hater Squad, by the way. Oh, okay. Because I hate, you know, so. How do I join? Mm-hmm. Do I have to hate something? Yeah, you need to uh, hate that Atari box. Oh, okay. Yeah, or Atari VCS, or Atari Bollocks, as some of us call it. Oh, jeez. All right, can we talk about something else before I just really get annoyed even more? Yeah, sure, let's do that. All right, let's talk about Tetris. Aha! Aha, Tetris! Tetris. And because Tetris is such a ubiquitosity in the world of video games, I'm just going to try to focus as much as I can on just Tetris in the arcades. Now, here's the thing. I say that a lot. All the sources I've found say that Atari Games released the arcade Tetris in 1988, mm-hmm. but the installation manual has a 1989 copyright date. Which is it, Karen? And at the same time, around 1988-ish, there was another arcade version produced by Sega. And that Wait, was- when was there a Sega version? At the same time. Really? Yeah. I did not know that. Yeah, it's totally different. I mean, it's it's Tetris, but it's totally different. And quite, I tried it out, and uh, quite frankly, it's not really much fun. It's kind of boring. It's like, yawn. But what, what are you going to do? So my little chit-chat is going to focus mace, mace? No, mostly on, if not exclusively, on the Atari arcade version. But there's a very fascinating and complex history behind Tetris that I'm going to try not to get involved in right now because it'll just take too long. Instead, I refer you to, um, there's a really great hour-long video on YouTube about the history of Tetris done by, uh, was it, oh, who was that again? The Gaming Historian. Gaming Historian, yes. It's a fascinating video, and there's just okay, so much to it. Oh, yeah. But uh, I will say this about that video. The creator, uh, Alexei... What's his name? Pajitnov? Something like that? Alexei Pajitnov. That's it. Uh, He's finally reaping the benefits of his efforts. Yeah, he wasn't allowed to do that when he first Mm -hmm. wrote it because Tetris was basically essentially Soviet Union property. But he's now making money off of it, and I say good for him. Long time coming, but he doesn't have to worry about his future anymore. Yeah. I'd love to meet him. He's got to have... He has to have interesting stories. Well, I wonder if I'm... Well... Jeez, Russia's a huge country. It's like, hey, I got Russian blood in me. Maybe I'm related to him. Of course, but, he lives in Seattle now. Ah, yeah, I don't know anybody in Seattle, so we're probably, like, not related. <laughs> but we should talk about that. Like, Alexei Pajitnov, he was an artificial intelligence researcher who worked at the um, Soviet Academy of Sciences in Moscow. And uh, they got some new hardware it was a uh, Electronica 60 computer. It was a multi-component thing. Like, basically, you couldn't just buy the computer and you plug it in and it worked. You had to buy the, all the, the keyboard, the monitor, everything separately. Um, it wasn't a plug-and-play kind of thing. Uh, well, then again, nowadays, it's pretty much the same deal. But uh, Electronica, by the way, that company was owned by the Soviet Ministry of Electronic Industry. And they also made uh, portable games. They made calculators, watches, and radios. So they did a lot of uh, basically small to mid-sized electronics. And Alexei Pajitnov was trying to test what the Electronica 60 could do. And so he was designing some games for it. And there was a game he played as a kid that involved pentominoes. And pentominoes, well, think about this, dominoes 
are playing pieces that are composed of two parts. Pentominoes are like dominoes, except they're made of five little parts. And he figured, hmm, this is not going to be an easy game to program because there are 12 different possible shapes that I can come up with with pentominoes. So let me dumb it down by one, and I'll make something with tetrominoes. T-E-T-R-A, by the way, being the Greek prefix for four. Learned that in, uh, believe it or not, my English class, I think, freshman year of high school. And uh, the benefit of using tetrominoes over pentominoes is that tetrominoes, you can only get seven different combinations, really. Now, the challenge with uh, making a tetromino game or any kind of omino game, as it were, on the Electronica 60 is that the Electronica 60 could only do text. It couldn't do graphics. So each of the four pieces of the tetrominoes would be composed of a pair of brackets, which must have looked really, really weird back then because you couldn't really tell if it was four pieces or eight pieces. So uh, I can imagine that was... uh, a hell of a thing to have to figure out. And I, if I remember the story correctly, uh, what Alexei was doing was basically having a, having the tetrominoes pop up randomly, you just place them on the screen until you filled out like the, an entire square or something. But he found that that was actually kind of boring. And that's when the concept of disappearing lines came in. He figured, hmm, maybe a nice challenge would be that you align the tetrominoes so that they form straight, non-breaking lines. And then when those lines form, have them disappear, and then have the pile of tetrominoes fall down, however many levels it is, depending on how many lines you form. And thus, there was the game Tetris. Again, taking the Greek prefix tetra, meaning four, and the IS came from the word tennis. So... There you go. That's how the game started. And the problem is, of course, because he was employed by the government, he couldn't really profit off of his game. So he had to figure out a way to maybe do like smuggle it out of the Soviet Union and get it published. And of course, we know it was published like crazy. I believe the main official publisher, at least here in America, was Spectrum Holobyte. Spectrum Holobyte, yep. Which was and, an interesting choice because previously, bef- before they had done Tetris, I remember Spectrum Holobyte doing games... Uh, like uh, there was a, a space shuttle simulator for the Atari ST. I know they did Falcon. Huh. They were more like military simulators, from my experience. Interesting. Yeah. And Falcon was a great, uh, a great fighter pilot uh, simulation game. Wish I could get it again. Anyway, and, and what, I think it was called MirrorSoft, and I think their European division was called uh, MirrorSoft, and they each did uh, different versions for uh, Amiga, Atari ST. They, they did a lot of sequels too. Um, there was a actually they did a ton of Tetris sequels. A Spectrum Holobyte did. The only two that I actually remember ever seeing, there was Weltris. I remember that one. Yeah, and uh, it was interesting because it was a 3D perspective, but the Tetrominoes were still 2D. They had just two dimensions, and they'd fall down uh, one of the four sides of the well, and then you would place it somewhere in the square in the bottom. And the same thing, you form a line, they disappear, and they squish together. Um, there was also Faces, Tris 3, apostrophe T-R-I-S 3, which I think was only on the Amiga and IBM compatibles, possibly Atari ST. I thought it was on the ST, but I could be wrong. Might have, I, I would be surprised if it weren't, actually. And I don't know, that game just isn't any fun. What you got to do with Faces, Tris 3 is horizontal blocks with pieces of faces fall down, 
and you have to build complete faces mm-hmm. and stack them in the proper order. You can mix and match different faces just as long as you have the right features in the right in the right places. And if you didn't build the face correctly, then the blocks would turn into like stone. You couldn't really do anything with them, and it just wasn't any fun. And there I was a similar game on the NES uh, called Hattress. Yes, I see. Which is basically that. the same thing, but with hats. Yeah. And I actually had the Spectrum Holobyte version for uh, Commodore 64, and it was actually kind of disappointing because there was hardly any color to it. The back, There were background images that were really gorgeous, but they were black and white. And the only things that were in color in that game were just the uh, Tetrominoes. And they were very blah-looking, too. I think the Atari arcade version is actually the most physically attractive version out there. Yeah, I would tend to agree with that. It doesn't look like the Tetrominoes are made of four pieces in that game, but they are. They're just solid pieces. They're not four individual pieces, really. They got kind of a little three-dimensional shading to them, too. Yeah, yeah, and it looks really, really attractive. And might as well talk about the arcade version. First of all, there are three different Tetris cabinets made by Atari. There's the standard upright, and there were two different cocktail versions. Did you know about that, Jimmy G? I didn't know there were two. Uh, I do know that they have a cocktail version of Tetris at uh, Pixel Blast. Yes, they do. That's right. Yeah, and but I, I think don't know have, which version have, it is. Yeah, they have the standard face-to-face cocktail version. Yes. There's also mm-hmm. a side-by-side cocktail version. Oh, really? Yeah, that thing looks awkward. Hmm. Yeah, look that up. Do a do a search for the pictures. But uh, I only know of one other arcade game that was a side-to-side cocktail like that, and uh, that was Joust. Hmm. And I've never seen the Joust. I don't think I have either. But the Tetrominoes in the arcade version, you got... Actually, I said before that there are seven possible, but I think there are only six in the arcade version, really. There's a uh, blue Tetromino, which is arranged in a, in a square. There's a red one that's arranged just in a, in a row, horizontal or vertical. A straight line, uh-huh. There's an orange one that's arranged in kind of a Z. A mm-hmm. purple one that's kind of an inverted seven. There's a cyan or kind of light bluish green that's arranged in kind of an S, basically a flip of mm-hmm. the orange one. And there's a green one that's in a T shape. You're missing another. There, there are two different facing L shapes. Ah, okay. What color is the face? Uh, I, I don't recall, but one of them is like a, if you if you put them to where the bottom is the same, the the L shape and the kind of S shape they have a mirror image piece. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So there's an L and there's a backwards L. There's a S and then well the other shape is referred to as a Z. At least that's how I referred to it. Yeah. So there are indeed seven tetronimo. Yeah. Uh, those of you who never played the arcade version of it, which I imagine would be not, not, I'd not be surprised if there are a lot of people who've never played it, never seen it, but the way it's arranged is it's supposed to be a two player game simultaneous. And if you just play one player, then player one is going to be on the left side of the screen. And on the right side of the screen, you're going to have the, the little game pit as it were, but instead of falling blocks, it has a graphical statistic of which blocks have fallen down. And that's, I don't know if that's really useful at all, but I think they just use it just so it's not just a big blank space at the right. The control panel is very simple. It's just a joystick for each player and a rotate button for each player. Oh, by the way, the way Tetris plays in the arcade, it's not just keep piling, piling and lining up and getting disappearing lines and things. Each round, you have to form a certain number of lines Mm -hmm. and then the round's over. 
And at the end of every third round, there's a little Russian guy at the top of the screen, an animated Russian guy who does a little dance. That is funny. I like that. And you can stop him early by hitting the rotate button, actually. depending, He does different really? things depending on when you actually hit the rotate button. Like, oh, uh, neat. I'll some, try that. Yeah, like sometimes he'll uh, there'll be a giant cane that swipes him away. Oh, uh, dude, I might have to check that out. You didn't notice that? No, I didn't. Dude. I, I mean, I'm too busy, like, playing the game, I guess. Oh, no, that's true, but anyway. I love games that have, like, little things like that. But, yeah, I'm going to go through some of the rounds here and tell you exactly, like, because the rounds are, are different. Uh, the first round, you clear five lines. The second round, you clear ten lines. Third round, you clear 12 lines. Fourth round, you only clear 10 lines again, but this time on each side of the pit, there are eight single blocks stacked on top of each other. So it basically makes the bottom eight rows of the pit a little bit narrower. And uh, round five, you have to clear 13 lines, and there are 10 bricks that are placed seemingly randomly. I don't think they're random. I think it's the same pattern no matter when, but you have to basically work around those bricks that are already there. Um, the sixth round, uh, you clear 16 lines and this time you have 24 bricks arranged in a pyramid at the bottom of the pit and there are some gaps in the pyramid. So there are some open spaces. Yeah. Tetris defies gravity at some point <laughs> and uh, round seven, you clear 12 lines, but at random times and at random places in the pit, I think usually after you place a tetromino, a brick will just materialize out of nowhere. It's meant to kind of throw you off. Round eight, you clear 15 lines, again, with the random bricks. And round nine, you clear 18 lines, again, random bricks. And by the way, by the time you get to round nine, the tetrominoes, they fall so fast that you don't really need to worry about pulling the joystick down. If you pull the joystick back, by the way, they fall faster. Some variations of Tetris, if you pull the joystick back, the, the tetrominoes fall, like, straight to the bottom, like, you go straight down to the bottom, but on the arcade Tetris, they just move down faster, so you still have control over them. When you get to round 10, which is a round where you have to clear 12 lines, by the way, you are given a message that says, beware of advancing lines. What that means is that occasionally there will be a line of bricks that suddenly appears at the bottom of the pit and pushes up your progress by a line uh, after you clear a couple of lines, so you have less room to work with. And so that's what that's all about. And that's, that's really all the different variations you have. You have the bricks that just suddenly appear. You have randomly occurring bricks and you have the, uh, the lines that get pushed up. And what's really cool. Um, I'm, I don't know if, if, uh, Tetris was the first arcade game to do this, but Tetris has an interesting feature in that it actually incorporates the high score table into the gameplay. Oh. When you get to round 16, there are bricks at the bottom of the well that spell out the highest scoring players' initials off oh, of the, uh, the high score table. The default, by the way, is T E T. Tetris. <laughs> and then, and oh, and by the way, Jimmy G, uh, round seventeen, it's the same thing except it goes with the second highest scoring players' initials, which by no. default is R I S. So my advice, um, if you are doing so well that you're number one in the high score table, just use periods or spaces, your initials. I've never tried that by the way. Hmm. I don't know if they allow that on the, in the, the high score table, but basically the rounds kind of repeat the various patterns and combinations of patterns. And they get incredibly hard because the tetrominoes fall incredibly fast. It's at, at that point. And I uh, should talk about scoring points in the game. 
The game, by the way, allows you to start at different levels. I think you can start at uh, rounds one, four, and nine, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. And if you start at round four or nine, you get a you get bonus points. Um, I forgot what that was, but it's in the thousands. For scoring points, though, if you complete one line, you're awarded 50 points. You're awarded 150 points for completing two lines. You're awarded three lines if you score 400 points. And if you fill four lines at a time, you score 900 points. And somewhere in the evolution of Tetris, the word Tetris has been defined as filling four lines in one swipe. Oh, interesting. So I think it's only been in the in, in the uh, smartphone era that that's happened, by the way. Because if you get a Tetris version for your smartphone, that term is going to appear when you clear four lines in one swipe. There's an end-of-round bonus, by the way. Uh, you At the end of the round, you will score between 10 points and 2,100 bonus points, depending on how many lines from the bottom of the playfield to the top are clear. Kind of uh, like how they tally bonus points in uh, collects. Yeah, yeah, it, pretty much. In fact, that might be where that idea came from, or vice versa. Or Clax may have, actually, no, Clax came out after Tetris, so... I, I believe think, so. Because it's the 90s, but... Uh, so th- there could be anywhere from zero lines clear to 19 lines clear. The more that are clear, the more bonus points you get. Uh, if you place a Tetromino, you get between zero and 500 points. I think it's based on how fast it falls, by the way. So that's uh, the scoring. There's other scoring, I think, but I'm not going to get into it right now. Now, here's the thing. We like to acknowledge the home versions of Tetris. Now, if we're talking strictly the arcade Atari Tetris, there really aren't any. There really aren't when you think about it. Now, I know that Jimmy G is going to call me out on this and say, what about the Tengen version on the NES? Mm -hmm. Tengen, which was at the time Atari Games' console division. Yep. No, no, it is not the arcade version. Really? It just looks like the arcade version. Hmm. And it's, by it's the way, this... um, we had mentioned the uh, the gaming historian earlier about uh, about if you really want a great story about how uh, Link in the, the show creation notes, of, of Tetris. Um, they also have another video about the issue with Tengen making unlicensed games oh, yeah. for the NES, which is also very interesting. Not quite as long. It's only like twenty minutes, but it's still very interesting. Yeah, Tengen had to actually recall the Tetris cartridges and have them destroyed, but I think there are a hundred thousand of them that got out and that are still in circulation. It was one of it's one of the higher priced uh, games for the NES if you're collecting. Yeah, but the thing is, it's not the arcade version because it does not go round by round. Hmm. Here, here's X number of lines you have to fill. It just keeps going. A common sentiment I've heard about the uh, Tengen NES version of Tetris is that it's actually better than the Nintendo version of Tetris for the it's, NES. It's definitely graphically better. It is much nicer looking. I mean, it does it does look like the arcade version, but it's not. It's not. It just isn't. I don't care what anybody says. Of course, we're talking about home games. Everybody knows that Tetris was the pack-in for the, the original Game Boy. Yeah, and that's how I first played Tetris. Um, in fact, let me um, share my memories of that. Um, it was, uh, I think I was a sophomore in high school. And because I've always been such a nerd, I was on the Scholastic Bowl team. (laughs) And we were on a road trip, um, I don't remember where, probably somewhere in in Niles or Morton Grove, which are northern Chicago suburbs, basically. Road trip to Niles. And one of my teammates had his uh, Game Boy with him. And that's when I learned how to play Tetris, just from that, really. And 
I was addicted to it. And of course, it was his Game Boy, so I didn't want to hog it. But man, I Tetris, 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 Tetris. And I had to find a version for Commodore 64. And that's when I went to Babbage's and got the Spectrum Holobyte version. But the only thing that exists that is truly a conversion of the arcade, the Atari-made arcade Tetris, that is, is Block Drop, which is an Atari 7800 homebrew that sadly will never be finished unless somebody can figure out how to pick it up and complete it. It was uh, started by Ken Siders, who died oh. a couple of years ago. And yeah. it's beautiful. Right now, the the most recent version of it plays like your average everyday Tetris, where you just keep playing and playing and playing, where the rounds don't end. But the intention was to have it so you get X number of lines for this round, X number of lines for that. In fact, the round countdown is even there. But he never put in the code to uh, end the round and get the little Russian guy to dance and all that. So, yeah, it's. I, I hope somebody's able to pick that up, though. Yeah, I vaguely remember that now you talk about it. Yeah, it's BLOC drop, by the way. There are at least two different versions for the Amstrad CPC, and the newer one does seem to be like it's closer to the arcade version than most of the other ones, but there we go. Uh, by the way, Jimmy G, where did you first play the arcade Tetris? Again, it was the um, Aladdin's Castle at the Louis Joliet Mall. Huh. And to be quite honest, that was the only place I ever really saw it. Really? Uh, back in the... Way back in the day, because we're not talking about Ferg today. Yeah, this is the so, Ferg-free episode. Ferg-free so, episode, yeah. yes. In fact, the graphic will say Ferg-free, just like, you know, it's a sugar-free item. Yes, but, yes. But yeah, I, I don't remember seeing it really anywhere else. Maybe a Pizza Hut here or there in a cocktail version. But hmm. uh, the, the stand-up I only saw there. And uh, yeah. to be quite honest, I didn't even know it was an Atari game. Because I was watching it, and I just could not see the word Atari anywhere on the marquee or anything. So it must have been just a weird cabinet they had. I knew but... it was Atari. I don't know why, but you know where I first saw and played uh, the arcade Tetris? Hmm. Aladdin's Castle at Louis Joliet Mall, because we had already lived in Joliet at that time. Oh, wow. In fact, I remember, this. I was actually impressed, because uh, I was there with my parents once, and I just kind of broke away from them. I said, I'm going to go over to Aladdin's Castle. And uh, my dad came over to grab me, because we were going to go home, and I was playing Tetris, and he's just watching me, and he said, so what are you supposed to do, just, uh, like, make a line? I was like, oh, exactly, yeah. And he's <laughs> like, oh, good job, Dad. I mean, don't get cool. me wrong. My dad, when when we uh, when the Atari 2600 was, like, all the rage, you know, my dad would play that with me sometimes. He was left, he's naturally left-handed, so he couldn't play Atari very much because the fire button was on the left, but he needed the left hand to control the joystick. But he would play, like, Pac-Man games with me, but. But I, I was actually impressed. I was like, good job, Dad. My dad never played games with me on the Atari 2600, but I remember when we first got it, he did get a couple of games for him. That was, of course, Blackjack and Slot Machine. Yeah. Slot Machine is, in my opinion, I don't care what they say about karate or any of the other games. I think Slot Machine is the worst game on the it's Atari It's the most pointless one. Exactly. Like, big freaking It's, it's deal. all luck. At least Blackjack has a, an element of strategy to it. Now, I don't remember if this is the first time that I played Tetris at the, uh, at the mall, but... One time I was there and there was this girl playing it and she kept continuing it and continuing it. And I was like, man, I don't want to wait. Okay, you know, this is a two-player game. I'm going to start my own game on the other side. And she looked kind of annoyed that I did that. I don't know why. But hmm. it's like I wasn't trying to hit on her or anything. I was that no kind of like a it. kind of like your experience in the some butthole? I don't know. Uh, series um, of stories. I, I really don't know. Do, is there a butthole factor in the two-player Tetris? I'm going to admit I, I shirked my duties here. 
But then again, you like, would have been the Does butthole. the other player affect the other player? Don't know. I wonder if it's one of those games where uh, there are some puzzle games where if you do something on your side of the screen, like a Puzzle Bobble. Yeah. And uh, then it will affect uh, stuff on the other side, like add more bubbles. That, that's a common thing now. Like if you play mm-hmm. like any of these falling block kind of games now and you have two people going, you're, at, you're, com- you're competing with each other because you're going to set off something that'll blow up the other player or something. Mm-hmm. But I don't think that was the case. I think it was more like, hey, jo- join the fun kind of thing. Hmm. Join the action. I don't know. Actually, that hey. I think was a registered trademark. Oh, one thing I do have to say, though, about the Spectrum Holobyte Commodore 64 version of Tetris is graphically disappointing. As it, well, first of all, at the time I got it, I was actually using a black and white TV to monitor my Commodore 64. So I didn't mm-hmm. really notice how colorless it was. I think I started using color TV on it. Wait, wait, we're no colors in the damn thing. What the hell? <laughs> but the music got kind of trippy, though. Oh, yeah? It, it, it is very trancy, actually. Not so in, that, Was it uh, catchy like the Game Boy version? No, it was way different. It was a lot of Commodore 64 games had this really warbly sounding music to it. I don't know why. And, and uh, the Tetris game was no exception. But there was just something very hypnotic about it. I don't hmm. know. It wasn't the the Russian-y kind of music that you hear in like the Nintendo versions, the arcade mm-hmm. version, and whatever else have you. But hey, and yeah, there are so many different versions of Tetris out there. There, I'll, I'll bet you that most platforms that had a version of it had multiple versions of it, either multiple actual Tetris or games or clones of it. Like, for example, there are, what, three Atari 2600 homebrews? There's uh, Edris, and I think the most popular one is Charity. Chitiri. Chitiri? And... Yeah, that I I hear more talk about that one than the other versions. Yeah, that is a pretty good one, yeah. yeah Commodore 64 had a lot of... You know how many different Tetris games there were in the arcade that just have the word Tetris in them? Hmm. Oh, my God. I can't I don't even want to talk about them. Uh, of course, there was, there was the two separate Tetris ones. There was the Sega version and the, uh, the, the Atari. Atari version. There was like Tetris Mania, Tetris this, Tetris that. Galloping Ghost has a Japanese Tetris. Uh, I forgot what it's called, but it has Disney characters in it. Really? And there, are di- and there are different modes of it. Yeah, I played it last time we were there. Huh. I scored like 10 million on it or something. Oh, jeez. There's like a story mode to it, which... But in fact, you know what? I can I can just look it up. But the story mode in that is kind of pointless unless you can read kanji. Oh, you know because what? I know the game Japanese. you're talking about. I know the game you're talking about. I played it too. Um, I can't think of the name of it. It was I Magical know. Tetris Challenge by That's Capcom. That's it. Magical Tet- Tetris Challenge. Yeah. By Capcom. Yeah, and there's a uh, VS Tetris on Nintendo. There's Tetris the Grandmaster from I think, let's, I think we should probably just put it this way. Um, Tetris is the puzzle game equivalent of Space Invaders when it comes to different versions, official yeah, versions, that's unofficial a good way versions. To put it. Yeah. If you didn't have an official version on your console, there was an unofficial. The first version of Tetris I played was actually a, a clone on the Atari ST, which I can't remember the name of it. It was a it was a public domain clone. Hmm. I yeah. really enjoyed it. Yeah, I remember Amiga had multiple versions of it. There was one for uh, AGA Amigas. That'd be uh, the uh, Amiga 1200-4000 in CD32, and there was a non-AGA version for all the other Amigas. And the problem is, I had an Amiga 600, and the AGA version doesn't work on the on the 600. You don't you don't actually get any graphics, but you get the sound, because it doesn't have the graphics hardware in it. 
and the regular version of Tetris wouldn't work on my 600 because the uh, uh, the Amigas had a uh, had boot code called Kickstart, mm-hmm. and my Amiga 600 the Kickstart and it was literally too new for Tetris to work with it. Oh God! That that was one problem with Amiga was that your Amiga could literally be too powerful to run something, and you have to dumb it down. That was oh. before I knew about things, how you can uh, get a ripped version of earlier kickstarts and actually force your computer to boot from them. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. Oh, by the way, one interesting thing about the uh, marquee on the arcade Tetris, of unless you're dyslexic, you may have noticed that the R is backwards. backwards. That's supposed to be just kind of a, a nod to the... Uh, Russian roots of Tetris using the Cyrillic Ya character. Ah, interesting. No, Ya. Ya. Ya, hey. Ya, hey there. And uh, really, that is Tetris, the arcade version of it. And really, I think it is my favorite version of Tetris, at least graphically. It's the most mm-hmm. the most attractive version. Yeah. And I'm going to just jump right into my rating. I'm going to give it a four. Yeah, I was thinking about it. I'm going to give this one a three. Uh, again, it's. I think I enjoy like the home versions of it better. I don't hate the arcade version. I like it and I play it from time to time. But it's the same thing with me with Cobbs. Sure. I think sure. I just prefer the home versions more. Sure. Nothing else to it. I mean, it's a great game. Yeah. If but, it weren't great, then you wouldn't have uh, high scores such as Jeff Craggy, who has the Twin Galaxies world record oh. at uh, two million seventy-two thousand one hundred thirty-three, nice. verified April third, twenty twelve, by DVD. And there's Jimmy Linderman, who has the Orcade.com record at 1,750,644. And uh, that score was achieved during the first ever Richie Knuckles Arcade Marathon on December 12, 2010. And nice. both of these tracks are on medium difficulty, and you can choose whatever level you start with. I think to get the house high at Underground Retrocade, I might be wrong, but I think Scott's rule to retrocade is you have to start at a specific level. It might be level one. I don't remember, though. Mm-hmm. Scott, if I'm if you're listening and I'm wrong, I apologize. But that's what I have oh, to say about the Tetris. The Tetris. Not just Tetris, but the Tetris. Yes. Just like this, one of the sequels to the movie Predator was The Predator. That was it, actually the most recent sequel now that I think about it. Yep. And really, come to think of it, um, I think the only place I ever did see Tetris back when it was first out was at the Louis Joliet Mall as well. But then again, I didn't really get out that much to where there would mm. be arcade games. Yeah, I just don't remember seeing it at any other arcades. I know it was never at the Putt-Putt. Yeah, but now it's pretty much everywhere. They have it at the Retrocade. It's at Galloping Ghost. Mm-hmm. Uh, Pixel Blast has the cocktail version of it. Izzy's in Niles has it. Mm-hmm. Pretty sure Yestercade's in Red Bank, New Jersey has it. Orcade.com shows 100 locations, by the way. I wonder if Star Worlds has it. Star Worlds um, does have it, yes. Okay. Oh, no way. The bar that a former coworker of my wife uh, owns uh, has it as well. Oh. Uh, Pinball Hall of Fame in Vegas has it. Uh, man, everybody has level 257 in Schaumburg. Now, I think about this. Uh, we were talking about the arcade versions. I think there was a version of this for the Play Choice 10 system. Hmm. There might have been. There's might one have from been the a VS. versus uh, machine version of it too. Oh, does Maybe. Grinkers have it? Grinker Grinkers has it. Grinkers in Eagle, Idaho. Well, I want uh, to see the grid. Oh, the grid's not listed as a location for this. Hmm. Oh, that's weird. I would thought they would have it. They're in Salt, the one in Salt Lake City, right? Yeah. Okay. Let's see. Like both Salt of Lake the City. one ups in Denver have it. Oh, both Yestercades in New Jersey have it. Okay. 
Oh, does Silverball have it? I don't think they do. Yeah, it's not listed here. Insert your own who joke because I'm not doing it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ground Control has it. And uh, yeah, you're also not doing that one. Oh, it's oh, Flashbacks at Carousel Arcade is listed, even though it literally no longer exists because it burned down. Does the Arcadia Retrocade have it? The one in uh, Arkansas? Yes, it does. Hi, friends. Vic Sage here, working at the Arcadia Retrocade. <laughs> yeah, it's... Basically, he seems like a nice guy. We know for sure that if you're in the United States, there's probably one near you. Most likely. Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Yep. Uh, Emporium of Wicker. Electric Rainbow in Sioux Falls. Fun Spot has it, believe it or not. Free Play in Texas, two different locations. Man, there's like... it's. it's, uh, I bet the Video Game Museum has it down in... uh, It's just west of... Or just east of Dallas. I can't remember the name of the town. It's not listed here. So, but you get Tetris. the point. It's it's yeah. it's really ubiquitous. But hey, if you can't find it in an arcade near you, you can probably find it in many other forms. Hey, Sean, do we have a theme for this? Yeah, we do. Well, the theme for this episode is arcade games in which there are home versions that were pack-ins for handheld video game consoles. Mm-hmm. Tetris being the pack-in for the Nintendo Game Boy and Columns being the pack-in for the Sega Game Gear. Of course, there was a, another theme, too. And, that, and by the way, I played both of those games for the first time ever on those particular consoles. There you go. And, of course, the secondary theme is arcade puzzle games we first played at home. Because I played both of the both Tetris columns on home game systems before I ever played them in the arcade. Well, they were games that you played at home. I did not play Tetris at home. It was during a road trip. Well, you know what I mean. On, we, I mean, it was like an games hour, we first, it was an hour arc- long road trip, but a road trip arcade nonetheless. Arcade puzzle games we first played at locations other than the arcade. Yeah, it's kind of like how when people say, don't try this at home. I was like, okay, I'm going to go to my friend John's house and try it then. <laughs> so yeah, so there you go. Anyway, anyway. And oh. uh, do we have people we should thank? Sure, yeah, we should. They, we haven't said their names in a long time. Uh, True. Uh, I do want to say one thing. I uh, did find out that Steve Tui no longer runs the Tuiville uh, network because he apparently did, has a actual radio job in Indiana. And when that happened, he uh, pulled the plug on his, his radio network. He, has t- he did tell me he's thinking about doing his own podcast and that. But uh, yeah. So we're not on there anymore. But I do want to extend a sincere thanks to Steve for... Uh, Having our show on all these years. Yeah, especially because we forgot for a long time to mention that. Yeah. So, you know, it's I guess it's karma. Goes around, comes around sort of thing. Yeah. But seriously, yeah. thanks, Steve, for uh, everything you've done for us and uh, seeing fit to put us on your uh, little network. Yeah. So thank you. And I wish to, on behalf of all of us here at Pie Factory Podcast, at Pie Factory Headquarters North and Pie Factory, what, what, uh, what's, what, where are you located? Uh, I, I kind of work from home now. Oh, okay, so you're not at the Logistics Center anymore. Nah. Okay. But we all thank Michael D'Angelo, Nate Lockhart, Art Guglielmo, Richard Valdez, Rory Coleman, Steve Steiner, New Balance Stores Phoenix, Keith Sheehan, Atari Bytes Podcast, D. Alex, Greg Polander, Jonas Rulo, Kyle Etter, PJ Steele, Tim Foley, Underground Retrocade, Richard Grounds, and Paranoia! <clears throat> Excuse me. Sorry. Uh, anyway, thank you wow, to all of you. that's a lot of patrons we've got. Yeah, thank you all of you for oh, your monetary you. support uh, at patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com. And uh, we apologize for that surprise donation that was uh, pulled out of your accounts. Um, I swear we disabled Patreon for the time, but somehow it must have gotten like reverted. 
Uh, the way pa Patreon doesn't really have a disable, what you have to do if you want to temporarily suspend people from donating to you, you have to change your account from a content provider to a patron, basically someone who's there just to donate, right. which we did. And for both this and the Atari 7800 uh, homebrew podcast, it reverted. And I, I saw a notification that we got a deposit. I was like, wait, what? Yeah, I was just kind of shocked by that, too. To be honest, yeah, and I checked and it flipped back somehow on both occasions. And uh, what we're gonna do is uh, we did send a message out to all of our Patreon sponsors and saying, "Here, here's what we want to do: uh, we can either refund you, or if you don't want it to be refunded, we will donate it to some kind of a charity. We might divvy it up between, say, my Extra Life campaign. I'm gonna do that again this year, and maybe uh, Jimmy G's uh, Bike MS ride coming up soon. And we should put a link to that in our uh, show notes, by the way." Yes, as I am, I am now uh, in full uh, fund uh, solicitation mode for Bike MS. In fact, let's go ahead and do that. All right. Yeah. We'll, so we'll, we'll do halvesies. We'll put half of it in yours, half of it in mine. Sounds like a plan. So there we go. Unless anybody has an objection, and yeah, thank you, uh, everybody. Uh, we do appreciate all of your support. Uh, please keep sending your feedback in the form of a twit or a email. Uh, it could be text, could be sound, tevs. Yeah. MP3, Wave. Oh, um, question. Um, Answer. What are the uh, games that we're going to cover for... Ep oh, by the way, we never said the episode number. This is episode 88. What are we going to do for episode 89? Ooh. Well, the two games we're going to talk about are Crater Raider. Crater Raider. Cubert's Cubes. And it's a very mysterious theme. Yeah. How are they connected? <laughs> oh, you will find out. Oh, boy, howdy, will you? So this is uh, Sean. Uh, and Jimmy G. Yeah. So we'll see y'all. I did it again. We'll talk to you all in a couple of weeks. Mass Exodus. Ooh, awesome. This episode of the Pie Factory podcast was edited and produced by Hyde St. Pierre. Opening and closing theme is The Happy L, composed by Sean Courtney. Follow the Pie Factory podcast online via Facebook on Twitter at PieFactoryPFP, or on PieFactoryPodcast.com. Support the show at Patreon.com slash PieFactoryPodcast. Podcast.